Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes, sir. one question. Yes, sir. Uh, if you saw me, you didn't know me or anything, mm-hmm. you know, up here and you were, let's say, a producer for the FM stations. Yeah. And you saw me, and what would you think I was, of a producer? Do I look like a producer? No, you look like a radio star. <laughs> well, I just ran into somebody, and he said, I look like a... Are you a producer at KMOX? I said, no, I'm not a producer. No, they didn't know you? No. Oh, my goodness. What yeah. rock have they been hiding under? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Jeez. I caught me by surprise. Yeah, with me, too. I mean, I'm just... I don't do look I have to sm- go, like, drag, pick them up and drag them out? And- yes. I don't look smart enough to be a producer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got a point there. Yeah. Exactly. Can't argue with that one. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, thanks. And, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trowel shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. we got one person in line. we got plenty of space, so if you'd like to call with your... Questions, comments, or concerns. Thanks for having me on your show, and uh, we can talk about annuals. How are your Johnny jump-ups or violas or your pansies doing? How about your bulbs, your daffodils, your tulips? How about your cannas and your elephant ears, those warm-season, tropical-type bulbs? Have you put them out in the ground yet? Hopefully not. But we're finding that you know, there's certainly circumstances in the city, at least, and probably other places as well, where cannas have been left in the ground. Several other things, bulb-wise, have been left in the ground, and they've, they're have they hardy. So how can that be? I don't know. How about your ground covers? There's a house down the street from me, which has right now, it's a slope. So that's I can understand why they put the ground cover in. They have periwinkle. So in other words, Vinca Minor, which has the blue flower, it is, I mean, it's spectacular. But they have a lot of grass, you know, that's coming up in the periwinkle. And I want to go up, you know, which I don't do, uh, and knock on the door and say, if you want to get rid of the grass because it's sort of overgrowing your vinca minor, your periwinkle, uh, just get a grass killer. So that's what you can do. If you have a broadleaf, let's say, ground cover, and you're having grass come up in it, you can use a grass killer. Not Roundup, nothing like that, because that kills everything. But one that specifically will say on the, the herbicide you know, bottle or whatever, spray can or whatever it happens to be, grass killer, then it will just kill that and it won't impact the other broadleaf plants that are in there. So your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines, or your water gardens. And I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take. And it's just for something for you to consider. Greg's producing. He's staying for both hours today, like usual. But uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting and during the weekend, too. 
So I come to your home and do a walk and talk. So I answer the questions that you may have. I also keep my eyes open for things that might be impacting your landscape that you didn't really even consider. So that's kind of what I do. You go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage will have my email and my phone number is listed there. And I'm sorry, a couple people have contacted me in the last couple of days and I haven't returned a phone call. I'm too lazy, blah, blah, blah. You know, hmm, sometimes I just have to take a day off or something because it's too crazy. But anyway. So I'll be back in touch with you. And now the tip of the trial is a special recognition for a group, individual, or situation that's made an impression on me. And the tip of the trial is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial today goes out to the Rose Society. Rose Society, if you're into roses at all, here's kind of a unique circumstance. Yes, you can go wander through you know, the Rose Garden, the Botanical Garden. There's actually two of them. But uh, what they're doing on April 15th, which is next, a week from tomorrow, a week from Sunday, they are having an auction. So Rose Society members are bringing in plant material and all kinds of other stuff. Also, if you're really, if you haven't started to grow roses and you're thinking about it, this might be a great place to go just to kind of mingle around and talk to people and listen or just listen to what people are saying. So this auction, as I said before, is going to be at 1 o'clock. On April 15th, and the auction is going to be held. All the stuff at the Botanical or at the Rose Society does is related to the Botanical Garden in many, many ways, except their yards and everything else have lots of roses in it. But it's not going to be on the, let's say, technical Botanical Garden grounds. It's going to be at the Commerce Bank and Education Center in the Dogwood Room. And you go, what is the Commerce Bank Education Center? Well, that's the building that's at Kings Highway and Shaw Boulevard. So it's the, you know, it's a huge building there. And uh, it's going to be on the first floor in the Dogwood Room. So an auction by the Rose Society, that should be nothing but great fun in general. So if you're interested in roses, haven't started growing any yet, and these people are going to offer roses you know, that they've been growing themselves, many of them. So what could be better than that? Auction. Yeah. What fun could that possibly be? Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, let's go to Wildwood for the first call of this hour into Matthew's yard. Matthew, how are you today? Good. How are you? Good. Good. My call is about grass. Um, in particular, the area between the sidewalk and the road. I don't know what that's technically referred to, but that little stretch. Um, I purchased this house, this property last year, and the yard was severely neglected. We had a pretty bad drought. Um, right. So the grass coming in now is just really patchy. There's a lot of barren spots. The soil is not ideal. It's clayey, gravelly. Um, is, do I have an opportunity this spring to get it seeded? And if I do, what would you recommend? Without improving the soil, you're just wasting your time. And this is a really difficult area anyway, because basically when the sun, I'm assuming it's probably more in the sun than in the shade, you know, the leaves, the trees not necessarily have leafed out yet, but that is a super hot, difficult area to have successful lawn in the first place. And without improving the soil, you're just going to be spinning your wheels, spinning your wheels, and spinning your wheels again and again and again. 
So it's kind of up to you. You can, you know, if you want to go after it, you know, get like a, you know, a topsoil compost mix and blend it in with the existing soil. Then you've got plenty of opportunity. Don't put any pre-emergence down or anything. You've got an opportunity to get a grass seed blend. Probably I would get a fescue blend and see, you know, just kind of see, you know, what, how it goes from there with a seed starter type fertilizer. So I have an opportunity to do that this spring? Yes. Blend? Okay. What, what, I mean, what sort of timeline with it being early April, should I get on blending this, you know, some compost in with the soil now? Yes. And then maybe seeding as soon as I get that down? Yeah, yeah no, no, you don't have to, you don't have to rush, but get the, you know, get the blend done. Make sure that if there is rain or anything, there's no low spots that settle because you want to make sure that it's fairly level because you don't want, you know, a, let's say sunken area because you're never going to get grass to grow there, even if you've improved the soil. So don't rush, but you've got all the way up until probably mid-May or so to get your grass seed down. So you have a basically a month. And then what I would do is then from then on, every May and every September, I'd put new grass seed down with a seed starter type fertilizer. Okay. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's the first thing that people see when they drive up to the house. So I'm trying to come up with, you know, something needs to be done. And if I need to, to, to improve the soil, I guess uh, that, that's my, my plan of action. Right. There's no getting around it. And, you know, the stuff that's there, you know, when you improve the soil, if it's, you know, really tough perennial type weeds, you may have to be going out there with an herbicide for a couple of weeks before you put down any kind of, a, let's say, grass seed. Okay. Okay. Yeah, right now, like I said, it's just patchy grass and then barren. There's Weeds aren't even growing. <laughs> I think that may be a testament to how bad the soil is. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Okay, I appreciate it. Right. right. Great, Great, Matthew. Matthew. Thank you. And now let's go to Bell Fountain Neighbors, and that's where Mike lives. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. Two, two questions. First, an easy one. Uh, sunflower hulls and the effect on grass. Is that a herbicide? toxin to the grass or is it just because the birds scratching uh, it's a bare spot under a dogwood that uh, was was grass covered and now with the since we moved the bird feeder uh, i've been reading a little bit about sunflower holes right and then the second question is uh, one word moles <laughs> moles you got to do trapping there's no getting around it you got to set the traps on the active tunnel areas and you got to get a Victor Spear or choke a loop trap, and you got to move them every day that you don't get a mole. So it's very, very, very difficult to get them. There's no wow. getting around it. I'm and, not a hunter, so uh, I guess I'll have to become one. <laughs> exactly. Just sit out there. And some people, I mean, they'll go a different route. They'll just sit out there and watch, you know, for the mole activity. The tunnels will start popping up. Then they go out with a shovel or a spade and pop them up out of the ground and then chop them in half or whatever. So it's kind of your own personal choice. But there are the traps, Victor Spear or Choker Loop traps. They work pretty darn well. And then related to your sunflower hull circumstance, that's part of the circumstance as far as it's almost like a, a, I don't want to say a toxic mulch, but it is in a way. But also the birds are probably on the ground bouncing around and they compact the soil as well. So that's making it very, very difficult for you to have any kind of successful lawn underneath this, you know, the dogwood tree. Okay. All right. That's uh so they're more, more just the cultivation and, and care rather than the uh, sunflower seeds. Yeah, exactly. And so you'd probably, if you're going to leave the bird, you know, bird feeder there, I'd probably just put mulch underneath the tree. That way you won't have to look at this kind of aggravation factor. Got it. 
All right. Thank you, sir. Yep. And now let's go to Paul in Winsville. Hi, Paul. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have a uh, flower bed on the west side of the house. And obviously it's uh, morning shade and uh, and and sunlight on uh, in the uh, uh, in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and um, what what type of flower or plant would you suggest uh, that would do well in uh, that situation? Now, are you tra- are you wanting perennial or you want an annual? What are you trying to do here? Uh, I would uh, like a perennial. Okay. Probably what I would do is you know, work the soil up, make sure that it's okay, and you know, add some organic matter to it. Then I would look at a ground cover like a type of sedum, S-E-D-U-M. There's several different kinds of sedum. You can go online or go to your favorite garden center and just ask them about it. One of those sedums called Dragon's Blood, it's maroon color. And it will virtually flower maroon color as well. And it's you know somewhat evergreen. Then I just mix, since it's going to be a very sunny location, I'd probably do just a mixture of you know sunflower family members. Something that would be blooming early would be like a Shasta Daisy. Then you could have some Black-Eyed Susans. Then you could have some Coreopsis Moonbeam. But those are going to be the most tough and durable things. And then for the fall, you could have asters. So you could do a combination of different sunflower family members so you could have something in flower the whole time on that side of your house. Sounds fantastic. I'll give that a shot. Yes, and the sedum's just so in the wintertime when all these perennials virtually have disappeared, you'll still have a nice carpet over the space. Okay, uh, because uh, last year I had some camo uh, on that side, and mm-hmm. it didn't seem to do very well. Really? That's surprising. Probably then you need to pro- improve the soil. So the soil may be really thick, dense clay soil, and you know I know Winsville is very... Just like the rest of the region, there could be areas where you have adequate or decent soil, but also there can be areas where the soil is just absolutely horrible. Okay. I'll I'll give your suggestions a shot, and uh, I'll let you know next year. Great. Sounds perfect. All right. Thank you, Mike. Yep. Thanks, Paul. And again, sunflowers are just tough. They're durable. Do a combination of the plant material. Muscoot, Illinois, that's Tom's home. Hi, Tom. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. Hey, uh, real quick, uh, I've got five grandkids, and uh, I told them each one of them when they turn five that they'll be able to plant a tree. You know, I read an article in the paper the other day talking about plant trees in the spring or in the fall, and the fall's best. What is just wanting your opinion? It Thank depends you. upon the specific type tree. Certain trees do a little bit better by planting in the springtime. So, you know, it's just a dogwood tree. If you're planting a dogwood, springtime is better than fall. So, but, you know, other type of trees, that's not necessarily the case. So, but for the most part, I generally recommend fall planting, but there are ones that have been proven to, you know, do better in the, in the spring as far as planting goes versus the fall. I mean, you wouldn't uh, say don't plant in the spring. It's just, I think the springtime is just going to have to do more watering than anything else. More watering also, and then it's, yeah, all the way through the heat of the summertime. Planting in the fall, they just get to go to sleep. You know, for the wintertime, and the root systems will keep growing because the soil is really, you know, warm, and that encourages root system growth. And in the springtime, the ground is cold, so the roots are not, you know, from the newly installed plant are not going to do too much. 
Right. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. Have a good day. Yep. You do the very same thing. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. The gentleman uh, just previously called about, he's got five grandkids. He promised when they got five years old that he was going to plant a tree for them. And I mentioned the dogwood is a tree that prefers to be planted in the spring versus the fall. Here's a couple more of the trees. This is a list that I happen to have, and I just didn't have it right in front of me. The black gum tree, which is kind of an unusual tree. The red bud tree, which is blooms in the springtime. The magnolias, the birch trees, the ginkgo trees, and the hawthorns. As well as, which I did not, you know, until I read this, I didn't realize that this was the case. Most of the oak trees prefer to be planted in the spring versus fall. I thought, hmm, that doesn't make sense. But, you know, this is from the University of Missouri IPM thing. So it's another one of those lists that they, you know, have provided. So anyway, let's go to Chris. And Chris lives in Montgomery County. Hi, Chris. Hey, good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm up in Illinois, about 50 miles north of St. Louis. Um, I've got tons of questions for you, but I know you probably don't have that much time. How bad is this cold snap going to affect all the perennials? And also, I have a Japanese maple tree in my front yard, and I'm worried about the buds on that. And I do have two more questions after that. So uh, basically, you know. the perennials should be fine. You know, okay. I mean, none of the foliage, they're all tough and durable if they're going to come up. They're not really, you know, exposing all that much stuff, so I wouldn't be overly concerned with that. If anything, you might have some spots on the leaves. And the Japanese maple, it's not, you know, pushing out, I'm assuming, the buds yet from the foliage, so it should not have any damage either. Okay. Um, another thing, is is this cool weather that we're having right now, is this a precursor to our summer weather? I don't remember. I'm 45, and I cannot remember back as far as I can think of it being in April like this right now. Well, I hate it personally, but no, I don't think it's going to, you know, sort of a precursor to what might happen in the summertime. It would be kind of neat if it was, and we'd all be playing like we lived in Southern California, but I don't think, you know, the way the weather was last year where it just poured rain for like six months, and then the next six months it was totally dry. So there's no way to tell. Okay, yeah, because I've I've got tons of banana trees, um, elephant ears, cannas and whatnot, and I'm, I'm itching just to get stuff on the ground, and then you got to wait till it warms up. And also, like, I, I'm, I'm just hoping that we do have a, a, a nice, hot, humid summer because I also have <laughs> a tremendous garden, and I grow giant pumpkins also. Great. So, I'm just, so but, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm getting a little paranoid about it. I guess I shouldn't worry. So, but, right. um, I appreciate it, man. I, thank you for the time. Yep. Thanks, Chris. And now let's come back from Montgomery County and go into St. Louis. That's where Diane lives. Hi, Diane. Hi. I love your show. I'm trying to get some starts of euonymus. Um, so last fall, in October, I, I tried two methods. I cut the ends, I cut some ends off. And um, so for the first method, I put them in water, and they actually rooted. I was surprised. Um, so I planted them in some potting mix. And so I, I don't know. Actually, my friend has those, so I'm not sure what they're looking like now. So I guess the first question is, if those look good, can they be planted outside this um, this spring. Basically, what kind of euonymus are we talking about? Are we talking about the burning bush that loses its leaves in the wintertime, or are we talking about the evergreen ones? I think the evergreen. So, I, in other I, words, I they have leaves year-round. Yes, yes. Uh, boy, the, to be honest with you, they're never going to produce enough roots, you know, in water like this to be able to survive outside. Oh, okay. 
So it just won't happen. So if you want to do it again, you take the cuttings. You have to get a rooting hormone, which is a powder, then put it in a you know potting mix for starting plants. That would be the best thing to do, and then grow them in the pots, you know, for a couple years. Oh, so you know what? The other method I did was I did do the rooting hormone, but I put them in a container of sand. I had heard that somewhere. I covered it with a plastic bag for a couple of months and, you know, watered it and occasionally. And then I was told I needed to expose it to weather, so I took the bag off and continued to water it occasionally. But I'm looking at it right now, and it's got, like, three roots on the bottom. And, I mean, there are buds sprouting from it, but right. not a lot of roots. Yeah, so. if it doesn't have roots, the buds don't mean anything. The buds are really kind of that action is kind of preset from the previous year. So those buds may be there. They may be pushing a little bit, but my guess is they won't open up fully. Okay, so I wanted to do it again. You said so. Do the rooting hormone and put it immediately into... A potting mix for starting plants. Right. And sand, it just doesn't hold hold enough moisture. And I mean, it's just going to be too dry. If you want to do cactus, that would be perfect. But then you said it really does take probably a couple of years. Yeah, to in the pot. That way you're going to have an adequate root system so it can go into the ground because okay. we know what the ground is like here. Yeah, okay. Okay, all right, that helps. Thank you very much. Yep, good, good luck. Show. And, uh, you know, thanks, Diane. Let's go now to Oakland, Missouri. Walter, how are you today? Fine. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Are you uh Clematis, I tried planting last year. I tried the three colors to, to try and get them to grow up like a butterfly bush with three colors. Mm-hmm. You pump them together. Right. Well, only one came up. So I never got a bloom off of it. Uh, what am I doing wrong that they're not coming up? Basically, clematis want to be in full sun. They also want to be in a fairly well-drained soil, and they want to be in an alkaline soil, too. So alkaline means, you know, versus acidic. So in other words, lime in the soil, make sure they're well-drained. So in other words, the t- you know, make plant them higher than the surrounding ground where they're going to be growing. And I understand with clematis, even if they came up and they did everything just right, for the first couple of years, you're going to basically cut them back all the way to the ground. So you're going to be waiting for like three years or so before you're really going to have many flowers at all. It's a long, involved process. Yeah, I did start over with digging all the soil up and putting in potting, that flowering potting soil. So I guess I need to add some lime to that. Yes, they want an alkaline soil. Same with lilacs. They like an alkaline soil versus other types of soil. So don't put a whole lot in, but just, uh, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be in a long, involved process. It's not going to happen within the next two or three years. Right. Appreciate you. Thanks a lot. Yep. So as long as you're patient, there's nothing wrong with it. So just that's one thing that's necessary. Randy lives in Sunset Hills. Hi, Randy. Good morning, Michael. Hi. My question is going to pertain to tomatoes. First off, is it too early to put out tomato plants? The ones that I've already bought are two and a half feet tall. Yikes. And secondly, is the standard run-of-the-mill, let's say, miracle Grow? plant food for tomatoes, is that sufficient to ward off blossom and rot? Yes, because it has calcium in it. It's basically formulated for that very reason, or it has a calcium for that. So the blossom and rot should be, you know, that's the, if you have calcium in your soil slice, you're going to get it there with your fertilizer, 
it should really make it so you don't have blossom and rot. And yes, I think it's just too cold because the tomatoes are just, I mean, they'll be, they may not die because of the cold. So in other words, the frigid air and everything else, but they're just not going to do anything. So there's no reason to stick them in the ground. They're just going to sit there. I'll put them in a bigger pot and keep them somewhere indoors. Yeah, in a bright sunny window, and that's you know probably wait. Even though the garden centers may have them and everything else, it's just the ground is just too cold. And a way to tell you know the ground is too cold, just take your shoes and socks off and walk outside in the ground, and you're <laughs> going to feel how cold it is. And the roots don't like that, especially of things like tomatoes or tropical plants or something along that line. Very good. Thank you so much. Yeah, good luck with that. So I would, you know, as long as they stay healthy and the foliage looks good and everything, I'd probably wait until, oh, you know, another couple weeks, then the ground should be warm enough to uh, stick your tomatoes out. Thank you, sir. Yep. And uh, you've probably grown tomatoes before. They need a lot of water and they need a lot of fertilizing. Good luck, Randy. And now let's go to Baldwin, and that's where Al lives. Hi, Al. Good morning. Hi. Mike. I just had a question generally about how plants are affected by temperature. So I realize there are some outside plants that seem to be able to stand freezing, like I noticed daffodils lately. But say a house plant that's normally going to be inside and you set it out, and the temperature gets down to 33. It doesn't get to 32 where the cells will actually freeze. Right. Does the 33, does that hurt the plant or can stress it, I guess, but would it kill it? It probably won't kill it. But the thing is, if there's wind and things like that, that's where the problem comes in. So technically the temperature is above freezing, but like this morning, it was like 29 or 28 or something, but it felt like 16 because the way the wind was blowing early on. So that's a wind chill. A wind chill wouldn't affect a plant. I mean, that only affects living, you know, like animals. And it, right. That's, that's how, yeah. So anyway, so but 33 degrees, an actual 33 degrees uh, would not kill it until the cells actually freeze. Is that Exactly. Correct? And okay. usually if it's just going to be, you know, at 32, then mm-hmm. it's probably just going to be the tip of the leaves. It's not going to yeah. kill the whole plant, especially mm-hmm. if you've had the plant and, you know, it's got some age to it and some, it's right. overall healthy. Now, if it's unhealthy, then who knows what's going to happen. Gotcha. Okay. Thanks a lot. appreciate yeah, it. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got about a little over 10 minutes of the Garden Hotline. Then at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards. 11 o'clock, the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. And then at 12.20, the Ameren Total Access pregame show with Tom Ackerman. So that gives you a couple hours of what to expect on KMOX. Let's go to Effingham, Illinois, and into David's yard. Hi, David. David. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hi. Hey, this time of year, uh, my uh, my backyard uh, floods when there's a lot of rain. What should I do to stop that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do do you live in a valley or something? No. Oh. No, I live in a subdivision, and, and most of the houses around me seem to have, have good dry yards, but for some reason I must be in a low place or something. Right. right. There's, there's not, not too much you can do, to be honest, honest with you. you. I mean, I there's, there's something, something called a French drain, drain which you could put on your property lines, lines which, which is a, a, a pipeline, pipeline that's below the surface. It collects the water as it would come over the property line, and then you could pipe it and move it to another location. Uh, other than that, there's, you know, I mean, you could correlate a couple times a year. That will help some of the water to percolate down, but uh, there's not too much else you can do. 
You don't think adding topsoil on the top would help? No, it won't help at all. The topsoil, if it gets wet, it's just going to migrate to whatever direction. So just adding anything to try to raise it up that way, if you blended it in with the existing soil, but still, if you're just elevating it, it's not going to, you know, it's it's probably not going to do that much. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish it would, but it won't. And so you could try it if you want to. Try it in one area to see what would happen. But just, uh, you know, just you're going to have to blend whatever you do in with the existing soil to create a cohesive blend or else just laying stuff on the top is not going to work. And now let's go over to Pam's yard. Hi, Pam. Hello. Hi. Hi, Mike. Um, I have a little gem magnolia that faces the southwest that's been planted for about 15 years. And after this winter, a lot of my leaves have turned brown and are falling off. I popped a couple smaller branches to see how the inside of the branch looked, and they're still green on the inside. Right. I put Super Thrive down once so far just to see if that will help. Do you think this magnolia is probably going to die after this winter? Because I've seen some other magnolias around that have brown leaves on them also. Right, exactly. Any of the broadleaf evergreens, whether it's a boxwood, whether it's a magnolia, whether it's a rhododendron, whether it's a holly, all of them suffered from that cold that we had in January. So it's probably a cosmetic thing, but, uh, you know, my thinking is it didn't really get cold enough to actually kill pretty much anything, unless it was already weak. But if it was healthy, you're probably fine. It's just going to be an aesthetic problem. Do I Should I fertilize it any differently than I generally fertilize? No, I would just, you know, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't, if anything, my tendency would be to fertilize less until it can get itself, you know, kind of set up and ready to go. So in other words, hopefully it's going to be producing some new foliage and things like that. Once you start to see the foliage, the flower bud or the foliage bud starting to open, then Uh you could go ahead and fertilize it at that time. Okay. The Super Thrive won't hurt it, though, will it, uh, Mike? It shouldn't. You know, I don't know the Super Thrive as far as the numbers go, but uh, you don't want to put too much in it. Does it have numbers associated with it? Um. Not really. It's a liquid um, root stimulator. Okay, so that no, that should not, not have any kind of impact at all adversely. Okay, very good. Okay, Mike, thanks so much. Yep, and now let's jump over to Swansea into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi. I have a quick question. Uh, when and what to feed a 15-year-old redbud tree? Uh, basically, how's it look? Good. So... There's, I mean, if anything, I do something called deep root feeding, and this would be done. You could either do it now or you can wait and do it in the fall. This is where you're going to go out about halfway from the trunk to the drip line. So in other words, that's the extension of the branches. You're going to get an electric drill. You're going to get an earth auger, which is a drill bit, which is about an inch in diameter, drill holes down about six inches or so, and then backfill those holes with compost. That's all I would do. Okay, well, thank you very much. Yeah, fertilizing, I mean, redbuds are extremely tough. You see them growing along the bluffs, along the highways and everything else. So what I'm doing by doing this deep root feeding is you're feeding the soil, then the soil will feed the redbud. You don't need to feed the, you know, do any kind of tree spikes or any other junk. Okay. Okay, well, thank you very much. Yep, good luck with that. And, 
you know, if it's healthy and everything else, I'm glad because red buds are kind of cool. Especially, you know, I mean, who would think they would be in the pea family? You see all those crazy pea pods hanging from them. So good luck with it. And now let's stay in Illinois and go to Collinsville and in, into John's yard. Hi, John. Hi, Mike. Uh, how late uh, can you aerate and oversee? Uh, we have a cold season lawn. So in other words, zoysia, I mean, uh, fescue or bluegrass? I've uh, got uh, bluegrass, fescue actually. Yeah, fescue or bluegrass, the cool season ones, you should probably get it done as soon as you possibly can. So, Because okay, what's going to happen is when you co-aerate, you kind of damage the crowns of the plants. And if we get a really severe, let's say, dry spell with, a, let's say, intense heat, then it could do a mm-hmm. little bit more damage than what you would anticipate. Okay, thank you so much. Yep, good luck with that. And so if you don't want to do it, to, you know, normally I'd say probably first of this month, but w- the way the weather is, you're probably fine as long as you get it done by the end of this month, and then you can put some seed down in May. Again, if you do any seeding, no pre-emergent whatsoever. And now Wes lives in Webster Groves. Hi, Wes. Hi. Uh, you had a previous caller that had a wet yard. Yes. And uh, I was just going to suggest that he might – uh, landscape some rain gardens into his yard and plant some native plants that really thrive on on that kind of uh, situation, and it might help that out. And it would also uh, help with the pollinators in his yard too. Yeah, that would that's a great idea. You know, normally when somebody's got a, a circumstance like that, I do recommend the rain gardens. And if you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, they'll tell you about all the different kinds of plants that you can put in you know, into the rain garden circumstance. So that's a great idea. I'm glad you called. Okay, well, thank you. Yep. And for everybody else, just remember that it's not quite spring yet. No, it is spring. But I want to remind everybody, too, to fertilize your bulbs. If your daffodils and tulips and everything, if they're in flower, if they haven't quite flowered yet or anything else, or they finished flowering, get some, you know, get some fertilizer. And if you want to get a bulb booster type fertilizer, that's probably going to be the best thing to do it. And right after you fertilize, just make sure that you do some watering so you get any kind of the fertilizer that may be on the foliage of the bulbs, you know, taken care of. You get it all washed off. The two, two type of spring bedding plants, you know, the cool season types, one is toad flax and the other one's pansies and the pansies cousin, which is the viola or the Johnny jump up. So if you want some color, that's perfectly great. In your perennial beds, if just in general you haven't done any kind of fertilizing for a while, and as soon as this new growth starts breaking through the mulch or through the surface, you probably want to use a fertilizer that's like 6-12-12. That probably would be the best thing. And then also around your acid-loving plants, your hollies, your dogwood, your azaleas, your evergreen magnolias, uh, adding some fertilizer, that is going to make a big difference overall. If you're having rose, if you do have some roses, it's time to make sure that you continue every week or so, pull more and more of the mulch back. So they're going to need less and less protection. With your mowing, uh, what you need to do is my zoysia is not showing any green yet, but I'm continuing to cut. And people think I'm nuts. I'm out there, you know, cutting brown foliage, you know, zoysia. But I've got some other stuff that's coming up in it. As I said before, the Scott's Patch, and that's a cool season, you know, grass. So I'm cutting that to make sure that it doesn't elongate too much, then lay over. And then when we have these really wet spells, create a fungus problem. 
So just think about that. Also, this is a time of year if you've just got some, you know, some small insignificant, I don't want to say insignificant, but small, let's say bare patches in your lawn, you know, go out there, rake it up really well. You can use a garden rake if they're relatively small and put some seed down and with some seed starter fertilizer and then put a layer of compost on the top of it. This, this is a time of year, too, when you if you've got a really major weed problem, broadleaf weeds, then you're going to probably have to get out there and use like a, if you want to use a fertilizer, you can weed, do a weed and feed type thing. Your houseplants, like I'm going to remind everybody again, if your houseplants are elongated, so in other words, they've really stretched out being, you know, being inside, you can go ahead and prune those right before you put them out. But it still may be a little bit early to put them out. So have a great week. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. The Voice of St. Louis, News Radio 1120, KMOX, KMOX HD, St. Louis, 102.5, KEZK, HD3, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.